What a what an incredible time it is at the moment. Absolutely. I mean, um, I mean, this morning was just a, a, just an amazing meeting, and uh, just the Holy Spirit moving. And at the end of tonight, um, you know, I asked uh, Apostle Mike if he had any words of knowledge or anything to do. He said, "Yep, got heaps of them," and uh, but I'll do them after the interview. So you know, don't sort of go to sleep because actually you might get a word of knowledge about you. Ha! And then you guys just sleep and get all religious and stupid. And then, oh, wait a minute, I'm not allowed to say that word in this church. Um, I apologize. Uh, and then, of course, you miss out. She's coming to rebuke me. Oh, okay, just, I was getting scared. I want us to stand and welcome Apostle Mike Connell. Come on. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Great to be back again with you. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Well, this is, the, uh, this is the last of the interviews for this year, but uh, tomorrow morning I'm going to be sitting with you, Apostle Mike, and opening up the diary for 2021, and uh, I'm looking to have him once a month. Oh. And if possible, and I know it won't, it won't go that way, but we'll do what we can. I just think what Apostle Mike has done with us in this church over the last couple of months has been absolutely stunning. I want to ask one question. How many of you have had something happen that is so significant in your life as a result of Apostle Mike being here? Thank you. Oh, that's great. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. Hey. Well, we want to finish off tonight about talking about some aspects of um, our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And what a brilliant message it was this morning, Apostle Mike. Um, you know, it, it absolutely amazes me that so many Christians know something of the Holy Spirit, but haven't learned actually about the central place of the Holy Spirit must have in our lives. I yeah. mean, it's just tragic. And following from this morning's message, I want to sort of dig into this a little bit further. And I want to start by reading a really, really important scripture, and it's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 to 32, Ephesians 4. 25. Therefore, lying, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Now, you see, in that context of our words, not stealing, not causing issues with your neighbours and all the rest, but it says this, verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And inserted in that passage of scripture is this idea of do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And it sounds pretty serious to me, especially given the connection that is made between all the stuff in our hearts our speech and our attitudes toward each, each other. So, Apostle Mike, I want to ask you to start with tonight, what does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Grieve the Holy Spirit. 
Well, I think uh, we need to understand the Holy Spirit being a person that we have a relationship with. And we need to understand the importance of the Holy Spirit in our life. We saw this morning in Romans chapter 8 how the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us so he might express himself through us. And so the desire of God is that we can reflect and be a channel for his life and nature. So we're the temple of God, we're the gate of heaven. Everywhere we go, we're to be a channel for the Holy Spirit. But he can't work through us without our, uh, our, um, our cooperation. So if you go back into this passage here now and start to have a look at it, you realize then that he cites almost two opposites to one another. He talks about, first of all, doing things that allow demons to gain access and express through us. That was what the first part you read out, make, give no place to the devil. And it's in the context of our heart being overcome by anger because of injustice and things we've gone through. In other words, we haven't dealt with life situations properly. And then he goes on to talk to the importance of not grieving the Holy Spirit. And again, it's all related to our heart attitudes and the way we treat people. So grieving the Holy Spirit means to cause him great sorrow, to cause him pain and distress. And what causes him pain and distress is because he's with us, he hears our thoughts, he knows our emotions, because he indwells us at the deepest place. And then he also observes how we react, respond, what we do to cope with pain, how we treat the people around us. So he is present with us everywhere we go. And I think that's what people forget, that we take him everywhere we go He's an observer to everything we say and do. So he can be grieved or, or uh, hurt or cause deep sorrow by the way we react and respond to life situations because instead of turning to him for help, we have allowed the circumstance of life to overwhelm us and we yield to flesh emotions and so on. So when we grieve the Holy Spirit, that means we start to minimize our sensitivity to him. So you think about this. The Holy Spirit, he says the gifts of the Spirit, are, you know, the gifts of God are without repentance. In other words, you can be a believer and say still flow in a gift of prophecy, which is an expression of the Spirit operating by faith to minister to someone else. But inside, your personal life is grieving the Spirit, and you are getting further and further from him, the life, the fire is going out. So many people think because someone's operating, they can preach or they can sing or they can worship, they can do this or that. They don't understand that that says nothing really about the internal life with God, the relationship with God. And then we get a big shock when someone suddenly fails in a major way because we saw they were so gifted and God was using them and we get confused. But you separate out the personal life with the Holy Spirit, our friendship with him, and he's given to lead us into transformation, to lead us into our assignment, to lead us into intimacy. And when we grieve him, we begin to cut down the supply of spirit for us to live an overcoming life. And that leads to an increase of problems in our life. So grieving the spirit, why would you want to grieve someone who loves you and is assigned to help you in life? Why would you want to cause him to draw back because he's hurt by your actions? So we can be ministering to people and yet in our personal life be drying up because of our lack of connection and overflow of the Spirit in our life. So, so, so really what you're saying is that there is a direct connection between our hearts, 
what we deal with and don't deal with, our relationships with people, and the Holy Spirit's attitude toward us. Well, I don't think his attitude ever changes. I think his attitude is one of love and yep. commitment to us. However, our fellowship with him and the capacity to draw life and resources to overcome. So you can only overcome the flesh by the power of the spirit. You can't do it by willpower. So we need the, we're, you know, it says the law of the spirit of life in Christ overcomes the law of sin and death. So the only way you overcome sin is not by struggling with it, but by activating the life of the spirit within us. And so the life of the Spirit's given to not just lead us, but also empower us to overcome the things that come in life. So you notice the context here, he's saying uh, not stealing, uh, not, no corrupt word proceeding out of your mouth, but rather building people. Uh, and don't grieve the Spirit, don't let any bitterness or wrath or anger or clamor or evil speaking, then put it away with all malice. So he, he's talking there in that sandwich that the way we treat people and react to the injustices deeply affect our fellowship with the Holy Spirit. He will empower us to overcome the bad treatment and bad behavior of people. That's why he says now, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, loving, forgiving, as Christ forgave you. And of course, chapter five, there's no break. And walk in love as Christ walked in love. So, so the Holy Spirit is given to empower us to overcome the issues of life and to manifest the love of Christ to people. So when you find people getting angry, they're now opening the door for another spirit to access and work through them and destroy relationships. When people hurt us and wound us, these are the opportunities to grow in love, to grow in maturity, to grow in the strength of the Holy Spirit. So how we respond to people and the way they treat us affects our fellowship with the Holy Spirit immensely. Yeah, yeah. So of course, it really then comes down to the fact that we have to learn to build a, an, a, a relationship with the Holy Spirit where we're being led by the Spirit, we, we are aware of his convicting power and, and all that sort of stuff, isn't yes. it? Well, in, in a relationship, people communicate by either directly talking or you pick it up because you're sensitive to them. It'll be in the look in the eyes, the look in the countenance. And so frequently, like with someone you know well, you can pick up straight away from the body language that something's not right, even though they haven't said anything. Now, if we can do that in a natural relationship, how much more do we, should we pick up in the Spirit or develop sensitivity yeah. to the Holy Spirit's flow in our life? So, like, for example, you know, it says the kingdom of heaven is righteousness and peace and joy the Holy Spirit gives. So when we're aligned right and walking in the authority and dominion that we're supposed to, or empowered to or called to, then the consequence or fruit of it is there's a deep peace in the midst of whatever, yeah. and there's a joy that's inexplainable that comes from the Holy Spirit. The moment you lose your joy, you've lost something with the Holy Ghost. Mm. The moment you lose your peace, it's a warning signal something's not going right. So the loss of peace, the loss of joy, uh, that those things are signals something's happening in our mm. walk with the Holy Ghost. Mm. And of course, the whole church can get like that. See, see the whole thing is that the... You know, one of the questions is, what does it mean it says when the Holy Spirit is our helper? But what, what, what we're really saying is that whatever you face in life, the Holy Spirit's there to help you yeah. to deal with it, to overcome and find freedom and, and so on. Yeah. Well, it's, the Bible says sin works in us. That means it energizes. The word workers energize. So sin works in us. Demons work in us. So... So sin has a spiritual energizing. 
Demons have a spiritual energizing, but the Holy Spirit works in us to will and to do the things that please God. So when we yield to the Holy Spirit, there's a spiritual life flow that energizes overcoming the things that are around us. Yeah, yeah. That's why we, it's, people don't get this. That it's, an energy, it's like having an energy source, a life source that enables you to, and people say, how can you walk through that? How can you overcome that? Simple. I drew on the Holy Spirit and lent into the spirit rather than the flesh. So, yeah, but let me interrupt because you see you, you lent in on the spirit. I mean, how does a person do that? Well, I think we acknowledge the reality of what's going on in our life and our struggle to overcome it and, and surrender it to him. Uh, the, the way of walking in the spirit is the way of the cross. It's a way of exchange. Mm. That means I exchange the pain and the trouble I've had and receive from the Lord his empowerment. Now, of course, the self-life, we don't want to do that. We'd rather be angry. We'd rather react. We'd rather punish. We'd rather do those things. So you're bringing it to the cross each time. And when we come to the cross, come to the work Jesus did, come and say, Lord, I just give this to you now, Lord. Empower me now to overcome it. Let your love flow through me. Let your life flow through me. Let your joy flow through me. Let your ability to overcome this injustice flow through me. It's an exchange life, not a trying harder life. So what people do is they try, they try harder to be more loving. They try harder to forgive. It's never going to work. No, no. If, we, if it could be done by trying harder, we wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. And so you've got to, the life of the Spirit is a, an exchange life where I surrender my right to hold the injustice and exchange it for his power to overcome the injustice. Mm. See, it comes right down to a very basic thing, and I was just thinking about, um, you know, Galatians on talks about the works of flesh, talks about carnal and Corinthians yeah. and about carnal Christianity, yes. because all of those things are about self-centeredness yes. rather than God-centeredness and having the power of the Holy Spirit, having a relationship with the power of the Holy Spirit, isn't yeah. it? Yes, it is. And, and you've, you've hit the nail on the head. The problem we face is that the self-life keeps rising up. Yeah. We want to prove ourselves, vindicate ourselves, justify ourselves, advance ourselves. It's always about the self-life. Now, the life of God is the way of the cross. So you see, if you follow through, you see, into say, uh, into five, let, be imitators or copiers of God as dear children, walk in love as Christ loved us and has given himself an offering, a sacrifice. There it is, the cross. So, so there's a choice always whether I react out of the old life or whether I choose God's way and exchange it's the life of the cross. See, see the problem that, that I have as you're talking about that is, you know, we, you and I were brought up with the, with the whole thing of that which I do, I wish I didn't do, and, you know, all of that big struggle. And, and so, of course, it was all taught so clearly, whereas today you're hard to hear that. It's like, you know, how to be successful and all the rest of it. But really, it's all about you You die so that Christ might live inside yeah. me. And, and so he says in that passage in Romans 7, he said, if I do the things I don't want to do and the things I don't want to do, I do, clearly there's something working in me. So he said, therefore, and that thing that's working in us is sin in the flesh, mm. empowered by the flesh, empowered by the law. And he said, therefore, now there's no condemnation. So I don't need to be condemned that I have a struggle. Jesus doesn't condemn me because I've got a struggle. He doesn't condemn me because I've got issues. He never condemns. Mm. 
So he says, but he says, no condemnation to those who are in Christ. We have that relationship with, and set their mind on the Spirit. In other words, we set our desires to please Him. I don't need. If I my desire is to please Him, I do not need to be condemned that there are struggles going on, immaturity, uh, failures, or things like that. And he said, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ made me free of the spirit of the law of sin and death. So, he's, it, what he's saying is, it's like gravity. Gravity will pull everything down. You, you never get rid of gravity. What you do is you overcome gravity with the law of aerodynamics. So a plane on the ground can't take off unless another law is put into operation. Right. And so it's the forward momentum of the plane coupled with the design of the, uh, the wings gives it another force that lifts it up. Now is gravity there? Of course gravity's there. So long as you keep moving forward, the plane will stay in the air. But if it stops moving forward, it'll, it'll go down. So he's using a parallel like that. He's saying, now, listen, sin is going to be in your body, working against you all your life until, you know, you're dead. Mm. So therefore, don't be condemned by the fact there's struggles going on, but rather keep operating in the law of the spirit of life. If I will keep myself flowing in the life of the spirit, I will always rise above this. Yeah, yeah. And so, so of course, you know, for me, one of the great um, keys to this is, is what the scripture says on the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's, yeah. it's like, it's the t being the temple of the Holy Spirit is, um, is the Holy Spirit's all in me, all over me, all around me. He's always there with yeah. me. Yes. But to be conscious of that's another thing. Yeah. But that's, but you see, that's the key. And of course, you know, we were brought up with the, with the whole concept of how do you develop um, the awareness that the Holy Spirit is in you and with you, as the Bible says. Oh, that's a good one. I mean, how have you done that? <laughs> well, I think uh, it helps if you realize that often we're aware or conscious of something else. Yep. Now, how do you learn things by heart? You learn it by repetition. So many of us are conscious, and I grew up conscious of feelings of rejection all the time. Now, that's a spirit. It's also a wound. It's also an issue of unforgiveness. And so, conscious of that, I lived out of that all the time. Now, mm. the Holy Spirit was there, but I wasn't conscious of acceptance. I was conscious of the other. It was a habitual way of life. Wow. And the Bible says you must be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So I made a decision then that I must change being conscious of the feelings of rejection and become conscious of the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? I had to address the heart issue of uh, unforgiveness and release forgiveness. I had to choose daily to bless and I made a stand to resist those feelings invading me, to see them as the voice of the enemy, not me. Hmm. And, and then take a stand against it and then meditate on the truth, God is with me and God loves me. Yep. So it's meditation, the constant imagination of the truth, imagining the feeling and the reality. What would it be like if this is true in my life to be loved and welcomed and accepted? And I did that for uh, probably three or four weeks every day, meditating that Jesus is my friend, the Lord is my shepherd. That means friend. What would that look like? I began to imagine it and picture it and meditate on it and celebrate and welcome that truth into my heart. And then one day it became a reality. I felt the feelings of rejection go. I felt the awareness of his love and acceptance overwhelm me. And then I, I, I had an encounter with the Lord. So meditation put you, uh, you, you meditate on the truth of God until the truth starts to form in your heart. 
Now, and so that brings you an awareness. So then once you've had an experience like that, then all you've got to do then is just begin to get into a place of praying, begin to lean in and meditate on that truth again, and you start to become conscious that God is with me. So we're so conscious of other stuff. We don't think that I could reject the other stuff and by meditation and focus become conscious. This is the truth. God is with me. Now, I may not feel it all the time, but the faith in my heart can be there. No matter what I feel, God is here. God is with me. And that's, that's actually called renewing the mind. It's putting the truth into your heart. So your heart will either overflow with rejection and various other things, or your heart will overflow with truth. Whatever you let to grow in your heart, will, it'll flow out and, and affect your life. Yeah, amazing. So given all of this, a person who has ignored the Holy Spirit, they haven't built a relationship with the Holy Spirit, they haven't created this, this dependence on him, his voice, his prompting, and all of that stuff. They've grieved the Holy Spirit. How, how does a person now reverse that? How do they sort that out in their life? Well, um, we just talk a little bit first, then I'll show you. The steps aren't that hard. We grieve the Holy Spirit when we have an idol in our heart. Wow. Now, we, we read the Old Testament. We read they built an altar, and then they bowed down, they worshipped idols. And we don't really get it. We don't see that God is trying to show us that an altar is a place of sacrifice. An altar is a gateway to the, to the spirit world. So altars were built to demons. Altars were built to God. And, and through the Bible, people who had encounters with God, it was always around an altar, a place that's built physically where there was a sacrifice and someone was worshipped in it. Okay then, so now our, today our altars are in the heart and the idols we have are in the heart. So, for example, if you have rejection or bitterness, it becomes an idol in the heart that you serve. Mm. And you don't just serve the bitterness, you serve the demon that's behind it. And it has a free expression until you break your agreement with it. So, idols in the heart have always, idols have always grieved God. Idols in our heart grieve the Holy Spirit. Because an idol is a substitute for God. So if God is revealed as a God of love, a God who accepts, a God who blesses, and I hold an idol of rejection in my heart, I'm constantly grieving the Holy Spirit because I'm serving that rejection rather than serving a God who loves me. This is where so many Christians are stuck. They have idols in the heart they serve, substitutes for God. Now, all altars had to be torn down all idols had to be torn down. So when there's an idol in our heart, I need to acknowledge, instead of living and serving the truth, instead of walking uh, and responding to God's truth, that I have actually believed a lie and served the demon that's behind the lie. I now need to first acknowledge it. There's nothing ever changes unless you recognize what you've served and that it's grieved God, to that you repent from it turn and break your agreement with it and confess that that's what you've been part of and then receive the truth or embrace the truth. So we've got to get rid of the idols of our heart and we get them so easily. They are substitutes for the reality of God. That's why the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. He will come and show you the places in your heart where you believed a lie and worship the lie. 
Worshipful I means I've served it. And so always the key is first revelation, that's what's going on in my heart. Secondly, recognition and taking responsibility for it. Thirdly, repentance and breaking my agreement with it. And then building the truth into my heart. You shall know the truth, the truth will bring you freedom or set you free. See, I, I don't think, um, Mike, that we could have talked quite like this th three months ago but we've spent week after week talking about the kingdom parables. Yes. It's all about the heart yes. and so on. Now, of course, it comes to this point. You can't ignore the heart issues. No, no. Because actually it's an idol. It's empowered by a demon. Now, yes. And we've just progressively dealt with that because many people won't face issues. They make excuses for issues. Yes. But actually, that's grieving the Holy Spirit, well, isn't well, it? Well, exactly, exactly. So fear is the opposite to the nature of God. So when you yield to fear, you're yielding and serving an idol. Yep. yep. You're serving a substitute for God. Uh, we don't see idolatry like that. But once you see it that way, anything that I substitute for God's presence and truth in my heart is an idol I'm serving. And so we come and then we've got all these idols in the heart and we wonder why our engagement and connection and walk with God is so full of problems all the time. Hmm. So the journey of the Holy Spirit is one of, apart from other things, personal transformation of the heart. So in, in the Bible, it says man looks on the outside, God looks on the heart. So all the way through the Bible, God's always looked on the heart. He's never changed. He always looks on the heart, which is the core of our being and our motivation, why we do what we do. So there's so many idols. I mean, ministry can be an idol. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, being on the platform can be an idol. Money can be an idol. Your, your, your marriage can be an idol. Your spouse can be an idol. Your children can be an idol. When you place anything before loyalty to the Lord, then you've got an idol in your heart and you'll bow and serve the idol. And it will manipulate you and compromise your walk with God and cause grieving to the Holy Spirit that affects your fellowship and ability to develop a much deeper walk. So my journey with the Lord has been a journey of altar building. Encounters where there's repentance, where there's bringing issues to the Lord, and then there's an experience of him responding. Are you going to tell me that at your age, your experience, your years of pastoring and leadership, and you're still building altars? Yes, of course. Well, that's pretty scary, isn't it? <laughs> well, think, think about this. If you, if, you think that, if you think of this, an altar is God's spiritual architecture to bring heaven to earth. So, so, so you think in the, in the Bible, every time fire fell from heaven, there was an altar. On the altar, someone made sacrifice of some kind. So David, when he was offered the opportunity to have an altar and have a piece of land and have oxen and sacrifice to God, it wouldn't cost me anything. He said, no, heaven forbid that I would ever offer God anything that didn't cost me something. So sacrifice... Uh, uh, giving something that costs us something, giving your time, giving your heart, giving uh, uh, something that's precious to you. When we make sacrifice, God answers with fire. It's the biblical design. There is no shortcut. How did the fire of God come? Jesus offered his life as sacrifice. 
How did the fire come in the New Testament? They spent 10 days in prayer and seeking God. They built an altar. Now, not a physical altar. They built a spiritual altar, which cost them time and energy. They lost wages, all of this kind of stuff. This is a sacrifice. So this is God's divine design for heaven entering the earth. There is no substitute for it. You build an altar and you pay a price. So if you look in my diary, you know, I used to put down, you know, I put in my diary what's important to me, lay out my week. So you'll find, you know, at 5.30 through to 7, there'll be, I used to put down prayer and devotions. You'll see now it, it'll have this. It'll have altar, sacrifice, and priesthood to remind me that this is not just having a prayer and devotional time. This is about building a place that God can come and encounter me. Wow. You know, um, all of a sudden, where the scriptures talk about uh, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the spirit of truth, the revealer of secrets, all of this sort of, you know, like, like mm. it says, I think it's either seven spirits of the Lord, you know, which is aspects of the, of the uh -huh, Holy yeah. Spirit. These now become absolutely mission critical, don't they? Yes. Yeah. But of course, if you've built an altar to the Lord through sacrifice, prayer and fasting and hungry for God and spent time in his presence, and then you encounter someone who's built an altar to a demon, they've allowed bitterness to root in their heart. Oh. Okay, now what you'll find is there'll be a clash because the person will recognize the demon will recognize there's something you're carrying around your life. That's why frequently we'll have people erupt in demons. They just manifest because in the spirit world, there's an altar built to God. There's a visitation place of God. And there's an, a, a place where a demon, uh, because someone has uh, been bitter, demons will... See, God requires certain things of us. Demons will take anything. So if you harbor unforgiveness and minutes, Jesus said, it'll be a doorway for demons. So people don't recognize that. I guess the, the, one of the greatest ways people grieve the Holy Spirit is when they harbor unforgiveness in their heart and there's an altar of bitterness and unforgiveness built and established over the repeated refusal to forgive. An altar is set up. Spirits are there to torment them. And you bring that person in the presence of someone who's carrying a spirit of forgiveness and love and the presence of God. There'll be reactions. Yeah. That's why just sometimes people react. They don't even know why they're reacting. Yeah. They react to you, but it's actually what's been established in their life is reacting. You know, it's, it's bringing me to one of the, to an issue. I want to just sort of make a statement and, and for you to tell me I'm wrong um, oh. or right or deal with it. But the way that I perceive it so often is there's a huge difference between a Christian who is reliant on the Holy Spirit, who has built... A relationship with the Holy Spirit and a Christian that is just doing the Christian thing but there's no activation of a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit for me the contrast is light and darkness well, which, is. which creates immediate conflict because you've got two Christians but their worldview is entirely different yes yeah one's kingdom oriented and oriented to pleasing God and the other is basically self-centered, a self-life. And, and, and it's like, so, so God becomes additional rather than the center. He's displaced from the center to the side. And so it becomes an issue of convenience. Yeah. Now God, and there's no place in the Bible where people have found God convenient. 
he comes to where he's central and first. There's no second place with God. Yeah. So we want the, the life flow that only God can give, we put him first in everything. And then that's why it says, seek first the kingdom, the, the order and governance and way of relating and putting life right with God. And then everything else is added to us. So it's, it's, it's not rocket science. It's just prioritizing our life and maintaining the priority when you're in pressure to, 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 uh, to compromise. Yeah. See, see I, I, you know, one of the ways that I would think about it is, you know, we're we creation creating a devotional life but for me it's not about a devotional life it's about a relationship yes of course and it's about the Holy Spirit and yeah. it's about the presence of God yeah. it's about sensing his presence yeah. it, it's a whole different world and, and so say so what you're using is word is we need to become sensitive in our spirit to the movements of Absolutely. the Holy Spirit well you can become insensitive so overexposure to media will make you insensitive. Yeah. Overexposure to violence will make you insensitive. Uh, overexpo or exposure to unclean things will make you insensitive. Mm. So it, it's not just that I have the time of uh, prayer or whatever with the Lord. I've actually got to, to learn what pleases him and what actually grieves him and stop doing the things that grieve him. So when you drink in too much of things that are wrong, you are now grieving him because you're participating and fellowshipping with the spirit that's behind it. So that's why you, you, if you want to please the Holy Spirit, you start to guard your eyes, you start to guard your thoughts, you, you watch what's coming into your mind, you watch what's affecting you, you, you notice whether you're starting to spend too much time on something and then you start to repent and draw back from that. Mm. You know, so, so we can easily be drawn to time uh, takers and then you've got to recheck yourself and come back. So fasting is one of the ways. If we do a regular fast or a seasonal fast, it tends to then refocus your life. And then you find in that season of fasting, lots of things you say, oh, Lord, I repent. I've just allowed myself to slip back here. I need to refocus on that. So it's always about a relationship with the person and staying close with them. Mm. And that ebbs and flows like all relationships. Yeah, amazing. Well, Mike, we, we've gone for half an hour. and I've Oh, said, my I've, goodness, we've got so much to talk about. I still. know we do, but I really want for the Holy Spirit to move. So I want to just come to the last question um, because I do want to move on. But I, I'd like you to talk about the rewards of one who adopts a determination to not grieving the Holy Spirit and becoming, a, becoming dependent upon the Holy Spirit. The rewards, what does that look like? Someone who has begun to adopt that culture and that way of living their Christian life, what does that look like? Mm, that's a good question. I think what would happen would be there would be an evidence of favor in their life. Whoa. <laughs> favor with God. In wow. other words, his blessing on everything they do and favor with people that can't be explained. I think that would be one visible, wow. tangible evidence of that. It says of Jesus, he grew in favor with God and favor with man. Yeah. That, that, that means growing. That means more and more of something. So if Jesus grew in that, we can grow in that 
when we make God central in our life. Now, the pro one of the problems with things of the kingdom is it operates out of sowing and reaping, and there's always a gap between the sowing and then the reaping. So what happens is people get discouraged because it seems like they're sowing without much benefit, but if you look over a long course of your life, you see the benefit over the course of your life. So now, in our lives, people look and say, well, you're lucky, you're blessed. <laughs> but they, don't, they, they weren't there when I was sacrificing. They weren't there when we were paying a price. They weren't there when we were saying no to certain things and yes to God. Yeah. And then over the course of your life, in the initial season, it, doesn't, it looks like you're stupid, like you're making bad decisions and people can't understand. But then as the course of your life takes place, the fruit starts to appear everywhere. So the first thing I see is favor with God and favor wow. with men. The second thing I believe is there's a fruit of peace and joy in your life, that you actually overflow with the fruit of the Spirit. There's a fruitfulness, there's joy, there's love, there's, there's a kindness. You see, what, when your name is mentioned, what are you known for? You know, what, is, what comes to mind? Mm. Is God come to mind or is something else come to mind, see? So you establish a reputation. It's the overflow of your life. Like David said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. In other words, out of his life with God, there's an overflow of goodness and mercy, loving kindness and mercy in the way he's treating people. So people look and they say, that's a nice life. I wish I had that life. Yeah, but it just didn't just... It didn't, didn't just happen, no. it grew. Yes, exactly. You grow it. Yeah. So, so one aspect of reward is in the personal peace and joy that overflows. A second aspect of reward is the fruit bearing of that in our relationships. A third aspect is the favor with God and men. And then a fourth aspect is there's a coming eternal kingdom we are qualifying ourselves for. So... If you only have the span of a life, if you only think in today and tomorrow, you're just up on every altar call and you're up and down like a yo-yo. If you think of eternity, now my life is a preparation for eternity. Am I committed to develop the life of the character of Christ? Am I committed to fulfill my assignment? Am I committed to the life of intimacy? Am I committed to please God with my life? And over the course of your life, you'll find there not only your fruit bearing in a way that's evident to everyone, but there's an entrance, you know, an abundant, the Bible talks in 2 Peter 1, of an abundant entrance into the coming kingdom. So if you do these things, you'll never fall and an abundant entrance into the kingdom. So the implication is if you don't do these things, then there w you may fall, you may fail, you may not actually have a great life, and you may not have an abundant entrance, you may not enter into it at all. Or if you do, the, the, the reward that Jesus offers those who overcome will not be yours. Mm. So how can I overcome the things which are mentioned in Revelations 2 and 3 if I haven't got the power of the Spirit? It is impossible. Yeah. How do you overcome the spirit of Jezebel and its outworking of corruption through relationships if you don't uh, submit to the authority of God and walk in that anointing? You won't even see it. You'll just be subject to it. How do you overcome the difficulties of life if you're not drawing on a life source? How do you overcome temptation and receive the reward of overcoming temptation if you don't become empowered by the Spirit to overcome? There, there's, or put it another way, you can't live the Christian life mm. without the power and life of the Spirit. Yeah. It was never made to be lived that way. No. You move no. under law and always feel guilty. I've never done enough. I mean, that's such a key. 
We're made to live out of an exchange life and dependence on someone else, not out of the law and what we should do and shouldn't do. That's why you, you ask a person, how's your prayer life going? 95% of the time they say, oh, I should be doing more. Now, what that tells you straight away is they're living condemned in their walk with God. <laughs> so they're not living free. See, when you're living free in the flow of the Spirit, if I didn't get so much of a time today, I'm not living condemned because I've got a relationship. Yeah. But if I'm under the law, it's always about you ought to, you should have done. You never did. You did that instead. And so people living that way are never going to experience the freedom and the liberty and life the Holy Ghost brings. Yeah. That's why people say, well, you laugh all the time. You, you know, all this. But of course, why would I not? It's the joy of the life. It's the life of the Holy Spirit. Being free from condemnation, you can laugh and enjoy life. We're meant to enjoy life. Yeah. Yeah. It's meant so to much. overflow with life every go. And so many Christians, you see, there's no life flowing out of them at all. And they're, they're, they're Christians by duty. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> or by fear or by guilt or whatever it is. But what yeah. about we're, we're Christians because we love someone and he loves here and we enjoy him. How about that? And that, that's how we're meant to live. We're meant to live out of a love relationship and of a great hope of the coming of the Lord that causes us to live passionately for him. And that's the thing that's missing. So you want the fire back. Build the altar again. Get the first love back again, you know. Repent from where you've fallen. Get the first love back again. Do the first things. Get excited about the Lord. Get the passion for Jesus back in your heart again. You know, church without the passion for Jesus is terrible. It's, what you, it's just duty and it's, it's no life in it. When the passion for the Lord is in your life, oh, wonderful. Now, uh, you know, it's different. You sing life differently, you know. Because the church is absolutely expert at substituting true spiritual reality in life with form and activities. And activities. Yes, exactly. It's called a religious evil spirit. Yeah, exactly. Works thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and God wants us to be full of life. He wants to encounter the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That's his intention. Yeah. Jesus, it says he was anointed with joy more than all of his friends because he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. So, so, so we don't think of Jesus being absolutely overflowing with joy everywhere he went and being attractive. Ch children liked him because he smiled a lot and he was a happy person and there was a great joy. He could be intense, he could be focused, but there was a great joy flowed out of his life. Everyone loved it. They were attracted to him. So where's the attraction factor? A lot of Christians, there's no attractive factor because there's no life. Now, see, now, yeah. we're not, now I'll, I'll, let me tell you something. We went on a cruise, our first cruise we went on. And, of course, they put us in a table with a whole group of people, and, and I refused to let anyone know what I did. So I carefully avoided telling them I'm a pastor because it's just a social killer. And so, <laughs> you know, so, so for, for, we were there for seven days. For four days, I, could, I actually avoided telling anyone what I did. I just found a way around just saying what I did. And, and they just loved being at our table because we're full of life. We had stories about what we'd done. We did everything cheaper. We got bargains that they never got. We got everything at a fraction of the price everyone else got. And then finally another guy joined us at the table and he said, what do you do? And I, he put it so directly, I had to answer. He said, well, I'm a minister. I'm a pastor. I said, a man of the cloth. <laughs> they, they, they gasp. But they, they could not believe it. Because their concept was so corrupted by a religious thinking of it. 
Afterwards, I got a letter from one saying we'd done a lot of cruises. This was the happiest, most joyful cruise we wow. ever had. Thank you for all that you did to make it such a great time. Wow. Now, wow. you see, that's, we need more of that. More of the life of God. It's a joy that overflows. This will need revival from time to time. I, want to, I have to get to revival meetings so I get fired up again. Yeah. I love that atmosphere of the Holy Ghost. It does something in you. You get oh, excited yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, well, I want to pull this to an end. Oh. No. <laughs> Noah, can you get my book on how to build the anointing of the Holy Spirit? Uh, however I put it. But you see, well, I want to finish off by just saying some, a couple of things. One of the things that you and I were brought up with was this issue of building a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, one of the things that I did was worked out how to build a relationship with the Holy Spirit, how to build the anointing or the manifest presence of God in, around yeah. my life. And, of course, eventually, thanks, Noah, um, eventually I wrote a book. A um, number of books I read, but one, the first one I read was Increasing the Anointing of God in Our Lives. Right. Because, and there's about six or seven things that you can do, but what does it do? It creates a real awareness of the Holy Spirit. Yes. I couldn't stand uh, having a Christian life where I couldn't virtually instantly feel the manifest presence of God. I mean, I was just in my study doing some emails this afternoon, and I started to play a particular thing on Spotify. Within a minute, I couldn't help but speak in tongues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's what Christianity yeah. is about. Now, I want to say something to everybody tonight. Now, look, if you've not got this book, I mean, for goodness sake, buy it. It costs, I think, all of $10. And, and because I'm so passionate about this, I'm You'll going to make it. You'll give some away tonight. I'm going to. I'm going to. Um, I'll make it $5 um, to buy the, the book. For goodness sake, who's not got this book? Right oh, there's someone right there behind you, Noah. Come and give her the book. Come on, give her the book. There you go. Give her the book. Can feel the love flowing. Yes. <laughs> now read it but here's the thing that I want to say get the book look at the principles and do them yes. and I'll tell you right now I've had people all around the world have done this and it said it's changed their it lives, changed their lives yeah. and what is it all about it's actually building the manifest presence of God around your life so that instantly you can connect into there. Yeah. I don't know what I would do if the Holy Spirit wasn't in me and with me, around me, being the temple of the Spirit, having the resurrection power of the Spirit inside of me. I, I, I mean, I'd hate to lead a church without all of that oh. manifesting. I mean, Jesus. Would it be a church? No. <laughs> No. It'd be a gathering of people. Be a gathering. <laughs> and that's why tonight we're going to have a move of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely, why not? And uh, an Apostle Mike's got a whole lot of words of knowledge. But I want to start by us um, singing. Can I have the musicians and singers up on the stage and the team, if you can get rid of all this stuff up here? And uh, we're going to worship, and I'm just going to hand over to Apostle Mike, and he's just going to move in the Holy Ghost. And I, I just believe... You need to have an expectancy. Mm. I wanted to finish up before we have our Christmas service next week with an expectancy of God to do something awesome in our lives. I believe that 
um, as I've said to my church and those who are visiting with tonight, I don't attend prayer meetings that ask God to move. I believe that's just, that's just bizarre because God is moving all of the time. The problem is not with God moving, the problem is with us. That's why I can say without a shadow of a doubt tonight, God is about to move. And uh, my second book on how to move in the spirit, um, I talk about how to have a move of God anywhere at any time um, because I'm so passionate about this because I know that as it says in Isaiah 10, 27, the anointing breaks the yoke. If we can come under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, then what will happen is we will find yokes, bondages, demonic strongholds, and issues of the heart will begin to get ministered to. So I want a strong worship song. I don't know whatever you're going to do. And uh, I want us to all stand, and I'm just going to give this meeting over to Mike, and I'm going to enjoy what the Lord is yeah, about to do. Why not? Come on, let's go, team.